This is a conversation with Mike Ferguson, an AI research engineer at MIT, currently working on a new project called BrainScore. BrainScore's purpose is to assess how brain-like artificial neural networks are. I think his work is extremely fascinating, extremely cutting edge, and I hope you guys do too. This conversation was amazing to me. I really appreciate it. Mike, if you're listening, thank you. And uh, without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Mike Ferguson. Enjoy. Let's see. All right, let's go. Three, two, one. Mike Ferguson, welcome to Max Depth. Hello, Max. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Beautiful. Um, I wanted, so I was reading all your link, uh, all your Medium posts, and they're great. So I wanted to start <laughs> start with where you ended because I thought that would be kind of a. Uh, so this quote, I cannot pretend I'm without fear, but my predominant feeling is one of gratitude. I've, I've loved and been loved. I've been given much and I've given, and I've been given something in return. I've read and traveled and thought and written. Above all, I have been a sentient being, a thinking animal on this beautiful planet. And that in itself has been an, enorm- an enormous privilege and adventure, which is exactly how I feel every day. So I just, right. I love that you included that. Yeah, I, it was, thanks for thanks for reminding me of that quote because I was bogged down in some in some PyTorch stuff and I kind of forgot and now I I feel better because <laughs> I heard that quote again. But yeah, I think Oliver Sacks man is is really kind of that romantic like view of science that him and, and other people like Carl Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson kind of have. And I I really ascribe to it. I think uh, I, I get kind of lost in the the bigger picture sometimes. And I, I just kind of think about our place in the universe and everything. And I am just happy to be here. Honestly, I think that's been my life philosophy is just kind of in the past few years, at least is just kind of happy to be here. So I definitely can relate, but yeah, thanks for showing me that. Cause I feel my day has been improved. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I hope other people's days are improved as well. I try to keep that top of mind as, as much. It's so easy to get lost in the weeds, especially like this conversation we're about to embark on. Like it's, it's, frustrating some of these questions that like we're thinking about because there isn't an answer like that we can come to so it's like we're we're searching in this like deep dark cave and we have like it feels like you don't know where you are a lot of the time so I guess like that quote gives me some grounding at least like it gives me the bigger picture perspective exactly yeah and so I haven't uh it's been a while since I posted on medium because we've had some uh stuff take off it with the Brainscore platform and everything that I work on. So it's been, I've, I've been neglectful in those duties, but I should definitely get back up to the Medium posts because uh, they were my favorite part. I really like doing them. Yeah, they were super insightful. And so that was, that. those uh, five posts that I read were like kind of a synopsis of the course that you taught at UVA? Yes, yes. So that was exactly uh, the course. So I took um, I had 14 lectures there once a week, and I taught it for uh, three semesters. I think it was uh, spring 2020, fall 2020, and then spring 2021. I'm trying to, trying to remember. Um, and then, yeah, so I taught those for three semesters, and I made the course from scratch because, like you, I was like, I like this area, but there was, there's kind of like these, this, if you think of it like a, like a star, each point in the star is kind of like a field, and you got like computer science and philosophy and cognitive science, neuroscience, linguistics, all this kind of thing that, and in the middle is this area that even talking with some like my lab people at MIT and like everything now like people aren't really sure what that intersection is it's like systems neuroscience computational neuroscience theoretical systems like all this weird stuff but anyway so um the long the the short answer is that um yes I took those 14 lectures I made and I distilled them directly into the medium post um so I have see 
nine left, whatever 14 minus five is, yeah, nine. <laughs> so I have nine left that I really want to post up. Um, but yeah, so that's the story behind those. And, and do you think people are hesitant to dive into the intersection of all of them? Because I know I was talking with, uh, this is another uh, conversation I'm going to reference later on in our conversation as well. I was talking with uh, a professor from uh, Harvard and he's working at the Salk Institute. He's a biophysicist. And he was we were talking about like the silos within science and how a lot of people, it's like there are positive and negatives. It's a great way to allocate funds, whatever, and organize. Right. But it's like, if we're trying to understand like, say the fundamental nature of reality that's not going to come from a single approach it's going to come from taking every every answer or every answer we can come from from every as many perspectives as possible and kind of meshing them all into one yeah no definitely and i think that's i mean i still feel that every day i i ask the grad students in our lab and some of the postdocs like hey like this there's so much like I would say the 50% of the work is computer science. What we do 50% is on the modeling side is neuroscience. And so it's, uh, it's like, are you a neuroscientist or a computer scientist? Well, it's like, yes. And it's like, uh, yes, there is because it, you kind of have to pull from both. And it is, it's been really intimidating for me because <clears throat> I came from more of a CS background and I've had to learn um, like the neuroscience versus, you know, the cognitive science of stuff like spike patterns and all that, all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the future blogs to people that are can be interdisciplinary. Um, being able to pull from different fields, I think is an advantage. I might be biased because that's what I did, but I'd like to rationalize my education that way. <laughs> wow. I, <laughs> I relate to that a lot. <laughs> I relate to that too much. I, ho I hope that's the case as well, that I'm not just lying to myself. No, I think, I think there's a lot of value in, in, like I said, being able to pull from fields. And I think like, especially for grad school and, and stuff like that, like in the future, I think a lot of um, I mean, just the admissions for like MIT ECS and Stanford CS department is it, there's so it's so oversaturated. It's, I think it's a good way to like distinguish yourself and everything. Um, but yeah, there's so many good uh, different like overlaps with computer science. Like I said, you could literally just put them up on a dartboard and throw a dart and say, I want to combine, let's see, finance and CS and let's mm -hmm. see what happens. Like there's so many good ways to go about it. But yeah, I totally agree. Beautiful. Um, kind of transitioning. I Could, could we start? I don't know if this is a good place to start, but let's do it anyways. Go for uh, it. <laughs> the the ch Chinese room argument. Ch right. Yeah. <laughs> Can we start there? Good stuff. Yeah. So it's been it's been a, it's been a hot moment since I've done some of the philosophy stuff. So um, what I remember the central takeaway is that um, so, like a computer, a Turing machine, as defined in the Chinese room, as Searle defined it, is never going to be capable of semantic understanding. Right. You can never get, and it gets into more like. Um, I remember my philosophy, my professor's going to yell at me for like being imprecise with my words, but the main takeaway, like I said, is that semantics cannot arise from syntax, right? You can't just shuffle around symbols and get meaning, whatever meaning is. Um, and I think it's a powerful argument, but I feel less like existentialist, like I don't have as much existentialist anxiety about it. Um, after I got to MIT and I started looking into kind of like what top AIs are doing, I feel a little like, I feel like if you look at the, it, it, it came out to be like 80% of what I thought about, like, oh my God, I have all this anxiety about, you know, semantics and syntax. It's probably shrunk. Like, I don't feel as like anxious about it as I did, but I still think it's a power argument. Does that make sense or am I ranting? <laughs> it, no, it does make sense. But I was just, I'm just wondering what, uh, what at MIT, uh, what about these new models uh, right. uh, took away some of the anxiety? I think it's, 
I think it's more that the goal has changed in my mind. I think um, the goal before uh, I had this abstract notion when I was like a second, third year, fourth year in undergrad of wanting to make this AGI, right? And I still do, but I, I think there's, I didn't really know how to go about that. And I still don't, but I think the path has been illuminated a little more. And I think uh, I'm going to like promote the brain score platform because I think it's really cool. And that's my main job. Um, mm-hmm. That's why I wanted to work on it, but it is a very empirical way to validate just how brain-like a neural network is. And I think it's very, very, very cool. Um, and so I think my attention has been refocused from the philosophical, like banging my head against the wall because there's no answer to the actual empirical, like what can I actually submit and get a number to and see like that side. So it's, I guess it's kind of shifted from the philosophical to the scientific, if that makes sense. Um, and I think it's just a product of the environment. I've tried to pick the minds of my lab mates and it's fairly entertaining because uh, it's, they don't really like touching the philosophy of like consciousness with a stick. Like they wouldn't touch it with a 10 yard stick because it's just uh-huh. like, it's been banished from the realm of science. And I don't really Which agree is with such that. Which such a shame. Yeah, and, and I know. And I think like, I think uh, some of the, like the older generation, I think that's more true than like our younger generation. I'm more open to like, the scientific study and stuff like that, because I think it's really cool. And it's, it's more of like a fundamental gap for me, right? Like it's a last frontier, right? Like there's certain questions in the, in the scientific realm. We just don't know, like there's things we just don't understand right now. And like, mm-hmm. I think like the, the, how consciousness arises and how the mind arises from the brain itself, like at a larger question, it's just, it's just a gap in the knowledge. And I'm just like drawn to it because I'm like, I, I don't understand it. Um, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And that's like why we have this theory of like the mind being an emergent property because exactly. it's like, I get, you could say an emergent property is almost like something. It's like, if like, if it's, if the brain is sufficiently complex, then this mind will just arise. Like exactly. that doesn't seem like a very realistic, right. I mean, it, it, it makes sense to, to hear, but right. I don't think, I mean, I don't know if it's the answer. Right. And, and I think it like, if you go at it from more of the CS side, then following that line of argument, you would have the, if you had a sufficiently complex, you know, deep, like convolutional neural network, then eventually somewhere along the line, some complexity plot, it's going to hit this emergence level of, of consciousness. And it's, it gets really like, it's, that's exciting to me because like, I don't know, I, I mean, you know, you could think of it in terms of like parameters, right? Like if you have a billion trainable parameters or a trillion trainable parameters, at what point do these things become like sort of conscious, right? And I, I'm hesitant to throw that word around because um, I don't know who it was, but I'm sure you saw it on the news. Um, a scientist got a bunch of slack for saying like current ANNs are conscious. And what I think he was trying to say was... Was uh, he like, trying to say sentient? So he's trying to say conscious in the terms of like integrated information theory is what I think was going down. Um, and I think there might be some truth to that, but it's, it's, again, it's like very, it's one of those things where I send those articles to my lab mates and they're like, why are you reading this? It's just going to frustrate you. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, because it's just entertaining and, and I enjoy it. So, um, yeah, that's, again, that's kind of a long answer, but maybe you could expand upon integrated information theory. Yeah, sure. So I think if someone asked me like what, I think consciousness is and like Mike Ferguson's personal opinion, not affiliated with like MIT or anything like that. Sure. I think it is. Yeah. I think it is some sort of integrated information. I think um, the way a network, like I, I use these terms really loosely in, in general, in general ways. So like the way a network itself, like a neural network in your brain or a neural network that you implement like PyTorch or something, 
I think the integrated information, the degree to which it influences itself is a gross oversimplification, but I think it holds. Um, I think once you dial that way up to like unfathomable levels of complexity, I think you get something like consciousness. And I think if you read my blog post and stuff, I think, um, well, you would know that I think personally that sentience is uh, necessary, but not sufficient in the sense that if you have sentience, it doesn't mean you're conscious, but you need it to be conscious. It's like that first stepping stone, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like I said, I think people throw those terms around a lot. Um, and again, from the blog post, you probably know that that's uh, a thing with me is when people talk about consciousness, are you talking about like phenomenal consciousness, like attentional consciousness, all that fun, all those fun terms. Um, but yeah, so that's the gross oversimplification that I remember of integrated information. Mm -hmm. and, and that idea is directly related to this idea of like metacognition, which, yeah. which is just a, which is an absolutely bizarre Right. <laughs> it's just so hard. There's so many things like involving conscious consciousness that are just so hard to wrap your mind around. Like the right. fact, like if you, if you think of your brain as like some type of ridiculously complex model with a, a, a quadrillion parameters or whatever it is, um, right. the fact that it's not just that model, like interpreting it uh, and focusing attention, but there's also, it's also that the fact that we know it's a model and that we can kind of look down upon it right. almost like, as if we're an observer, even though we're that same, we're, we're the thing we're observing. <laughs> right. It gets, it gets really tricky. And I think that's, I remember in philosophy, that's kind of uh, relates like Daniel Dennett's form, uh, or I guess concept of intentionality, like this observer observing this observer, and you get this recursive like loop. Um, and I remember, I can't for the life of me remember the exact argument, but yeah, it does get kind of tricky. And I think, um, I think there's a lot of good research being done with metacognition and theory of mind, especially I think Rebecca Sachs, professor Rebecca Sachs at MIT, I, I took a class there and she's phenomenal. Um, and I had a lot of great conversations about like theory of mind and um, how we kind of interpret each other's mental states and everything like that. Um, but I'm not an expert on that, so I can't really speak to it, but it was just interesting talking about it. Um, but yeah, it, it gets, it gets kind of mind boggling because not only like, am I talking to you, but I'm aware of the fact that I'm talking to you and then I'm aware of the fact that I'm aware of it. And then you just get this endless infinite loop here and it's really confusing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like the turtles all the way down argument. Right. Like, right. <laughs> what, what's at the very bottom. Exactly. Yeah. And so that was, and you still get into these weird, uh, like infinite loop philosophical arguments of like, are we living in a simulation? Well, it's kind of impossible to know because then you could say the people simulating us are in a simulation and then you just keep going on and add infinitum. And then you're just kind of, it's kind of like one of those arguments, like the, uh, I don't know if you've heard of like the, what is it? The invisible teacup orbiting Jupiter or something like that. Whereas like, how do we know there's not an invisible teacup orbiting Jupiter? And it's like these, it gets into the realm of these unfalsifiable hypotheses where it's like, you can't really scientifically validate if there's an invisible dragon sitting in front of me, where it's like, well, you can't see it because it's invisible. And then it's like, all right, well, can I feel it? Well, you can't actually touch it because it's not there. And then you get like into some Carl Sagan stuff and some like new atheism stuff. So it gets very like, I'm saying it just gets very complex, very fast. And I definitely, there's been times where I've been very overwhelmed that I'm just like, I close the book and I'm like, all right, I got to take a walk. Like, yeah, I, I relate to that hundred percent. I get, I get overwhelmed, but also like ridiculously intrigued by that, right. that idea. I, I've never heard anyone like make that same argument. It's like, <laughs> like, I, I don't know if I still believe this. I'm like going back in my head, if this is still like what I think it is, but something like right. that, there's like a true external reality that we don't have like real, um, like full access to, like we're limited by like our five senses, our ability to uh, interpret and represent and make sense of those um, 
Fuck, I'm so sorry. I need to go let someone in. Oh, no, it's all good. Give me 10 seconds. I'm literally, I think my dog's losing his mind anyway, so it's honestly chill. Like, no worries. (laughs) Yo. Roommates, man. <laughs> People are putting in new countertops. Oh no. Oh, yes. Um okay. So it's like the, the thing I'm like say say like so I was like super interested in string theory for a while. This idea that like there are dim- the, like that the math works in like eleven or twenty-six dimensions and that these are dimensions around us or looped within themselves that we just like can't see, but they're they're like all in front of us that we just don't have access to. And I was like super enamored by that idea. It's just so romantic to me. And like, I wrote this whole book about this kid who like goes insane, like thinking, like just becoming obsessed with the idea that there's like a world right in front of him that he doesn't have access to. And he's like, what the fuck? How is everyone else walking around normally when like this, the world we're interacting with isn't the real world. Right. It sounds like, um, have you read Flatland? Like the 2D or Flatland? Or yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, it's the level below. It's like 2D right. creatures interacting with like a 3D world. Exactly. So it's like when a, when like a ball crosses into Flatland, they only see a circle and right. they don't yeah. see the fact that it's a ball. Exactly. Yeah, I think there's there's actually a lot of cool books that, um, I don't know if you've heard of or even read that kind of go down that route. I, the, off the top of my head, the Girdle Escher Bach, um, the original like 700 page book, it's called... Uh, Girdle Escherbach, The Eternal Golden Braid. And it's it's really cool. And I think you would really like it um, because it goes into, uh, it's kind of famous. He That was like his first nonfiction book he wrote and he won like a Pulitzer Prize for it. Um, but yeah, so he, he gets into like recursion and, and consciousness and all this crazy stuff. And it's really cool. Um, the second one's a fiction author. I think um, Luis Borges, like- uh, Yeah, he's an Argentinian poet. Yeah, Aleph and other stories and everything. Yeah, that it's gets- into Aleph? Yeah, the Aleph. Uh, it's a it's a it's a short story, but there's a book that's kind of like his uh, his compilation of best works, and it totally melted my mind when I read it. Um, nice. But yeah, there's that's it's definitely I I get that a lot, and I think what's grounded me from going down this existential loop. I think like the first time it really hit me was when I was a second year. I had taken like symbolic logic for the first time, and like I learned you know like implications and all that fun stuff. Um, like discrete math it was part of my discrete math course and i got really deep into like this the nature of like empiricalism and, and science and stuff and i think like i said what's really grounded me from going down that rabbit hole of like existential dread is kind of taking the scientific like mindset of okay what is empirically testable what can we actually do here to like try to make a dent in this and i think it hit me again when uh when I got into the super intelligent stuff and I think uh, it's on the, uh, this is part of the class I haven't written an article about, but there's always a philosophical argument of like a super intelligence that's greatly smarter than us could eventually discover theories that totally rewrite all of our like fundamental theories because we just don't understand it, right? Like we're limited by our hardware in some degree. Um, so there's, I think a lot of cool philosophy of super intelligence there too. Um, and Nick Bostrom's book, Super Intelligence gets really into it. I think you'd be like that too. Um, I literally took the, that entire half of the course probably from that book. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I definitely understand that and I can relate. It's an, another way to ground it is like, for me, at least it's like, like what is practical? What is, what is useful? Like, isn't like, so our, our minds, our representation of the world 
has evolved like to be useful it's to help us survive it's not like to right. represent like the 100 truth because maybe the 100 right. maybe that maybe if like we are the conclusion basically that like i come to in that book about the kid who's going insane is basically like well like say the world is made of 11 dimensions and there's all this shit in front of us like right. what what does that really do for you right it doesn't do anything <laughs> It right. just like it just makes you go insane and feel like you're separate from everyone else because they're right. they're interacting with this whole th this thing that you know is something else. It doesn't do. It, there's no utility in it. Right, and I think I think too. I uh, when I've struggled with this a lot in the sense of like um, it gets into kind of like the meaning of life thing and like the extent like the original existentialist out of France and this whole like absurdist movement and everything like that. And I think I adhere to like the fact that like you do create your own meaning like. Uh, you know, given the optimal circumstances, I think everyone's capable of something great, you know, given again, like if you don't have to worry about like things to take up your bandwidth. Um, but I do think too, like it helps me kind of pull back because I'm, I, I think a lot of times I'm like, if I'm sitting here debating the nature of reality in my head and like, I'm, I'm like wondering, and I'm sitting in my chair, like wondering like what it means to live my life. I'm like, I'm not really living in that sense. Right. So it's like, it's kind of like this catch 22 where you sit and you think about what it means to live and like live a good life, but then it's like, you can actually just go live it. And it's, and I think, I hate to say it, but I think the movie that at the very end, he's like, he like comes back from the dead or whatever. And he's like, he said something like, what are you going to do now? Like, what, like, what is your philosophy? He's like, I don't know. I'm just going to live my life and like, enjoy it. And I think like, that's been my philosophy because for two or three years, I was bogged down in the, Oh my God, like, what is the nature of reality? Like what, like everything's crumbling around me. And now I think I've, I'm sort of on the other side of it, sort of not, but I think like too, I, I'm just kind of happy to be here. Like that all for sex quote. And it's just, well, I'm, it I'm glad it, it, mind, I'm glad it now, took you know? three like, years to get to the other side. Cause that's that's just reassuring because I, I don't still know feel I'm, that way I still you still feel that way okay good I saw right. you should watch this show that I saw yeah. um one episode of the show called love uh love death robots it's called zima blue basically it's this so this okay. woman designs a uh a pool cleaning robot with all with uh no. like a with a perception mechanism and like ba super basic cognitive but like and eventually it evolves evolves becomes this like basically this man this uh basically an agi and right. uh he becomes an artist and he represents uh he goes on all these trips to the universe blah 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 goes through a thousand different things does everything you can possibly imagine doing in a life and then right. he, he's like an artist so his last like stunt kind of is basically turning himself back into that original pool cleaning robot <laughs> what yeah that's not cool. to spoil it you should watch the episode right. no, it's amazing so cool. it, it blew my mind it's on netflix it on? yeah okay. yeah netflix it's amazing no, I, love you a, really... I love a good sci-fi uh i love a good philosophical sci-fi uh show or movie or whatever but yeah it's i think a lot of my like current philosophy on life and and the way i try to approach scientific things is more i think a lot of the people i work with would say i'm more like philosophical and idealistic in the sense of I like talk to them about consciousness and they're like, okay, what does this mean for this neural network, man? Like, what? They like come back for a second. Like, you know, so it's, it's been, it's been pretty fun, honestly. Cause I think my, my mind's changed a little bit on some topics um, since I've been here, but yeah, anyway, so continue. <laughs> no, that's great. I just, I, it's awesome knowing that like there's, that there are people, cause I just think it's 
fucking fascinating right. thinking about these things even if there even if there's no like real utility in it or if there are even if i'm going to die without answers to me it's right. just like really engaging and meaningful to think about these things to to think about the fact that i'm like in like a group of a handful of creatures that even has the ability to think about these things or even right. to contemplate the universe or to right. understand the science that we do have it's just amazing and meaningful to me and so it's right like the well creation. i mean you're you're way ahead of what i was doing and i was a freshman what was i doing when i was a freshman i don't think i was doing anything i think i was playing destiny on my PC. <laughs> so or on my, my old ass xbox so i think that's what i was doing. It, it really hit me um when i started the book a week thing my sophomore year um, and that's when I think like, I felt like a lot of change, like a lot changed for me. Cause I was like, wow, like there's so much shit out there. I don't know. And like, I, it's, that's gotten even worse as I've gotten here. Like I came in in my teeth thinking I was hot shit and I got smacked down pretty quick. Oh my God. It's like, it's so, like, as you learn more, more and more, it's like the Hydra. It's like, as you learn more, more and more questions begin to open. You're like, shit, we are so far right. from, from knowing, from knowing everything. Exactly. It's just, there's so much space yeah. to be covered. And again, I think, I think that, that the philosophy of that, I think, can be counteracted really well with the, the mindset of I'm just going to try to make this little empirical change and try to expand the frontier as much as I can. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the reason people do a PhD in, in grad school itself. You know, when you think of the giant sphere of human knowledge or when you do a PhD, you're blipping it out a little more. And to you, like that's your entire world and like you're the expert in that one topic. Um, but you're commit like you're contributing to the wealth of human knowledge. And I think that's very like. Cool. And I think that's very noble, um, which is why I want to go to grad school eventually, just in a few years now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah. When you when you were doing the uh, book a week, book a week, yeah. I don't know how far you how, how many books have you read like doing or um, is there, so like, I'm a rough still doing it. Yeah, um, I'm on. It's been three years, so I think I'm on 166, a little over three years. Um, I started in September of 2018 so yeah it's been almost three and a half years actually and have those been like what's the uh what's the breakdown have they been like a lot of like uh like literature have they been um like non-fiction like like cognitive science related are they like like what what kind of stuff have you been consuming right i think a little bit of everything i think my main focus has been kind of non-fiction because i i think the secret is just to like read about stuff you like right like I have these weird niche interests where I'm like, cool, like it has nothing to do with CS or Cogsite, but mm-hmm. I still like learning about it. And then I think a large majority of those nonfiction books, probably 67% have been something related to this, like philosophy, AI, something like that. Um, I try to stay away from the really dense stuff because <laughs> I just like, I, I don't really enjoy reading like um, just really dense things um, mm-hmm. like Kant or anything like that. I could yeah. not like, Jesus Christ. But the other stuff, I, I, I tried to read a lot of the classics that I enjoyed. Like I really got into Ernest Hemingway because I just liked the way he wrote. And I liked the, the kind of the like simplicity, like simple syntax and stuff that he employed. It wasn't, it didn't seem very pedantic to me. So I was like, okay, I like this. Um, for, but for, for, there, for whom the bell tolls is my fourth favorite book. Yeah, exactly. So that and, uh, oh my God, I cannot think of the titles right now. For whom the bell tolls was actually his first book that I read. And it kind of it just the, the way the way it ends the Ring, way, um, yeah it's so good it's so good yeah so those are those are some of my favorite books but i think like there's been i read a lot of carl sagan because i've been really like influenced by his philosophy and i think like scientifically he's been probably my biggest idol um because like i just really enjoyed like there's quotes that he has that just kind of knocks me on my ass because i'm like oh my god like the first time i read the pale blue dot kind of speech it was it was pretty incredible um but yeah so i i've tried to um 
In fact, he actually said something like, if you read a book a week for your entire life, you would read about 5,000 books. And he's like, there's millions of books that have been written. And it's like, how do you choose of that, you know, million, those 5,000 you want to read? And it's like, the trick is to knowing which ones. And like, I have no freaking clue. So I just read, like, I literally Googled like Amazon, hundred books to read in a lifetime. And I'm like, all right, which ones are less than 400 pages? <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's do it. And mm -hmm. so I, I've gotten a lot out of it. I think that's the one thing that's kind of changed my life. And yeah. it's the one constant I've had. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's ridiculously valuable. The the follow-up question to that is, it's not. I don't know if it's a question, just like an idea. Is right. like if there's more, if there's more useful information in a in a book, like for whom the bell tolls, or like uh, one of my favorite authors is Dostoevsky, and just because he's yeah. just like unbelievable at creating characters, putting in the, like creating these worlds that are like super realistic, all these different right. motivations. It's like, can you learn more about consciousness and the nature of life and how to live? through like books like those or like these nonfiction books about neuroscience. Right. And I mean, there are, I think, I think the answer is both, honestly, because um, right. they're attacking it from two different angles, but I just wanted to. I no, no, like I totally agree. I think, I think they're both valuable. And that's why I've, I haven't really tried to limit myself in, in one or the other. I think um, people like Dostoevsky and Raskolnikov, the character Raskolnikov, I think, I think that kind of gives you insights, like the human condition and like what it means to be human. I think um, we're the scientific, I think it's a compliment to the science. And I think there's like merit to studying, trying to study, understand both of them. Um, because again, it's, it goes back to the, if you sit there and debate the meaning of life, you're never actually living. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think going out, living life, experiencing what it means to be human. I, 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 I really like the intergenerational books, right? Like I really liked hundred years of solitude. I really liked East of Eden and Pachinko and these books that follow these generations, like one family or like a town over the ages and stuff, because I think it like, it paints this portrait of like, like I said, what it means to be human. Like we fall into these archetypes of um, these patterns of what we do and how we interact with people and everything. And I think it's just really cool because that's, it's a nice compliment to the hardcore empirical science and objectivity. Um, I think there is merit to studying the subjective. Um, and I've gotten into that debate with a lot of my lab members about it um, because I would say a lot of um, the people I work with are hardcore empiricists, which I respect. Mm -hmm. um, but I think uh, as like new people have joined and stuff. I love picking their mind and seeing where they kind of, they fall on that spectrum. <laughs> um, but it's been interesting. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's useful par partially because like, like you're talking about these archetypes. So it's like, if you can see yourself as an archetype. So like one thing I like to do is like, imagine myself as like, as the hero, as like the, right. the, the, the hero that's confronting the unknowns of the world. It like, it makes me feel like I'm a part of like the deep tr tradition. Like I'm not like the first person going after this. There's like other people that have done this all before that they're kind of like rules the world. And then I'm also like that, like fitting into that role, like it like kind of immediately gives your life meaning. Cause you're like, Oh, I'm on this journey. Like I'm moving exactly. towards something. Even if the thing you're moving towards is like a pot of gold defended by the dragon, like, right. <laughs> like whatever it is in your head, like it, almost you could say that's just like, that's like the highest thing you can aim at that is like almost inarticulatable. Like you, can't, you don't really know what you're heading towards. You just know you're going somewhere and like you're making all these steps around the way. Like it immediately gives your life some meaning, which I think is like ridiculously important. And it has helped me a ton. Yeah. I mean, you nailed it. I mean, you said it better than I could. I think that's been 
the existential dread. I'm, I'm not religious. I kind of lost my religion when I got into this. I was raised Catholic and I still have a very niche interest in early Christian history. You know, like that period from like zero to 500 AD. I like love that shit. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. why I think it's just really cool. Um, but I don't, I, I don't believe in it anymore. I think um, my point of that is like, I think like the Nietzschean philosophy of like, where does your meaning of your life come from? Like after religion, you know, like, what do you do? And I think I've found most of my meaning in my like happiness and solitude in the, like, in what you said, in that pursuit of the unknown, right? You're linked intrinsically past and future to the people that have done the same things, similar things you have, right? So like, you feel kind of like this brotherhood and sisterhood with like the scientists that have come forward in the future scientists of like, you all kind of share in this pursuit of like, I kind of want to give my life to finding out things of the nature of reality. Right. Um, and there was a, uh, I think, I think, uh, taught niche Han, I cannot pronounce his name, the Vietnamese or the, uh, yeah, the Vietnamese monk. Um, mm-hmm. he said something that, uh, in a book that I really remember, it was like, um, it was like a Zen, uh, Zen thing, a Zen Buddhist thing. And it was like, mm-hmm. I sit in this seat, like, I, like I sit under this tree and, you know, thousands of people sat under this exact tree meditating exactly like I am and thousands of people will in the future. And it's like, who's the singer and who's the listener at that point? And it's like, it was like this one Zen Cohen. And I was like, what the hell? Like it came out of nowhere um, because it kind of, like I said, it kind of gives you this perspective and you get linked temporally, um, you know, after you die and after you decay and everything and what's left. And it's like this temporal link. Um, I think that's really cool. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you said. Yeah, it's so important. I feel like it's so important to feel like you're, I mean, I'm just restating what you're saying to hopefully maybe get somewhere. It's like uh, to feel like you're a ch- like you're a child of history, like you're born out of this uh, enormously complex past. They're only like kind of like just beginning to understand and how much of it do we really understand it? But also the fact that you're the father of, in a sense of all the things that you know are gonna come after you, whatever they are, the ridiculous yeah. complexity that's gonna spring off from you it's like it's situating you in the middle and it's just like it's so cool uh, yeah, I definitely, um, 100% agree. <laughs> so so you're you're really interested in the zero to zero to 500 timeline and i was i was hoping maybe we could talk about that even though it's nothing that what we were doing because i'm also yeah. <laughs> interested yeah. in early christianity too for whatever reason for the same reason you're cool it's fucking fascinating but one part that you know who jordan peterson is yeah so i got i got into jordan peterson around 2018 when he rose to prominence i read 12 rules for life like i I think a lot of it i try to stay away from it now because it's too controversial um for a lot of it and i think i would break with him on a lot of stuff but i think like when i first got into him he was pretty fundamental in like shaping the way i looked at like like getting your shit in order um because that at the time like a lot of young guys i was like i was trying to figure out how to get my shit in order (laughs) yeah yeah he's talking about like that that aim like the the he he taught the reason why i was able to say talk about the hero myth or talk about uh like aiming at something uh like far down the line is like from him but the reason i bring him up is because he gave these talks about like the early biblical stories and i had never read about them never heard about them my parents aren't religious at all i'd never been in an active church before i'd never read uh, any of the stories i'd only like heard things and so like just him giving those lectures it was really cool because he was going at it like in the same shoes as i was he had or like i had never really read them knew and nothing about them and he was doing this like investigation into them which was just so cool because it for, for a bunch of different reasons, but the one I wanted to talk about was the fact that they are, the, the earliest Christian stories are offsprings of even older, like 
un, like we don't know how old like oral stories from like Mesopotamia and Egypt and these things like the the idea that Satan comes from the Egyptian god Seth it's like I like even like the a lot of people I think think Christianity as like the starting point for a lot of things like in the western world at least but it's like these things are so old you don't even know like the the Mesopotamian stories are so interesting and they and as I've read some of the, like the Cain and Abel story or as, um, some of those earlier stories, like the emergence of consciousness, like all these in the Adam and Eve story by right. eating the fruit from the tree of good, uh, good and evil. Um, right. It's like they parallel a lot of those old stories really well. And it's just so cool. It's like, you see those stories like being a part of something much older and then you see yourself as being the offspring of all of them and it goes down this whole long line. Right, no, I totally get it. I think there's, uh, I think you would really like the book East of Eden. Um, I talked about it earlier, but it's kind of, John Steinbeck wrote it and I think, I think it's his best book, but I think a lot of people would say Grapes of Wrath is, but I think it was his best book. And I think it kind of, he wrote it as a biblical allegory, right? Like it follows two brothers in their lives that are obviously Cain and Abel and their sons and everything. And it, 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 I don't know, it gets really deep into, into that stuff. And I think, I think too, once I kind of moved beyond Jordan Peterson, I kind of got into Carl Jung and like the Jungian archetypes. And again, yeah, he, like a lot he of- He introduced me to Jung, which was yeah, immensely yeah, so, valuable and Nietzsche. Exactly. Yeah, so then- And Dostoevsky. So yeah, the MB, like the concept of Jungian archetypes. And I think um, like you find yourself, like you said, you find yourself- most aligning with one of them and then you kind of have this narrative that you fall right for me i think it was the explorer right like i like to think of myself as exploring things and like um i've always felt that way where like i want to explore like whether like go out and explore things like internally explore things and like computers and stuff like that um so it does help you kind of paint this picture right um but there is a lot of cool like interesting um i i focus more on like the council of nicaea and like constantinople and kind of the roman like siege of jerusalem and like kind of the history behind it um, like a lot of the early Christian history and the martyrs and everything. There's some really good quotes from those guys. <laughs> I guess being burned at the stake really makes you, or crucified really makes you like have some good quotes. Um, but yeah, so I'm a sucker for a good quote, by the way. And I, you probably <laughs> Me yeah. too. I have a whole list of good quotes in my notes. Yeah, there. so exactly. So there's a lot that I have on that, uh, <clears throat> on the AGI, on the AGI uh, class and them that I'm going to want to put on medium. Um, but yeah, there's so many good quotes out there, but yeah, there was, that was actually one uh, on, when I was teaching the class, that was one of the people said that was like their favorite part because I had um, like first year CS students that hadn't really been exposed to that um, and that I wasn't exposed to for like two or three years afterwards um, that got that kind of literature exposure. Um, so I think it was really cool. Yeah. I think you would have been really like a perfect fit for this class, man. I wish like you could have taken it, but I think like, um, I think you would have really enjoyed it because we had these discussions with um, people exactly like you, like four or five people would meet after class and they just go like, I would just sit there and try to moderate it and they would go at it, like, like going at it over like the nature of the Chinese room and like semantics and like what it means to be conscious. And I just, it was great. Uh, Cause it was really fascinating to see like so passionate, like discourse. It was great. Um, yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like I'm in that class right now talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So the, the I remember the, the biggest debate um, was the dualist debate, the materialism and dualism debate, the flaw, the nature of the mind and like, where does it come from? And like Descartes and all this. And I want to say uh, the first time I read uh, Descartes and I asked a question in my philosophy class, I think I put this on the video. I call I call them Descartes. Descartes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the not discarding e. for anyone listening. Do not make that mistake. <laughs> I did. Um, but yeah, so that was 
That was pretty cool. I remember uh, my views have, have flip-flopped so many times on this and, and materialism and functionalism. And it got even more convoluted when I actually took my hardcore philosophy of mind class and I uh, just, good Lord. Um, it, yeah, I had to, I had to kind of give up a lot of it to focus on the empirical work um, because that to me was like the tangible, this is actually what's going on. This is actually like a brain-like AI. Um, and the philosophy, like I've noticed too, like, a lot, some people are more like reluctant than others to engage in the philosophy behind like the scientific progress that's being made. Um, and I think that's cool, but I think it's also like cautious. Um, but anyway, yeah, so continue. Wait, Sorry. so wait, wait. So people are reluctant to yeah. do what exactly? I would say like our generation, I think, is, is more willing to debate kind of like the philosophical questions of. Um, what the old gen, like the previous generations didn't really want to touch, right? So like Christoph Koch and, and Francis Crick and like the study of consciousness, they got so much shit for it. And they still do for trying to scientifically study consciousness and like integrated information theory and everything. And I think um, as each generation kind of figures out what they like and each generation molded by these different factors that are influenced and they find things that they like more, I think like the science they pursue changes to like the approach kind of changes as the generations go on, right? Like when quantum mechanics was first like introduced, people were really like hesitant. And then as the years gone by, like went by, generations went by, they were more accepting of it. And I think like, I think the study of consciousness is like getting there. I think people are less reluctant now. The younger people are less reluctant now to like, start talking about like, okay, like how can we build models of like something that's phenomenally conscious? How can we test it? How can we validate it? Like that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think, but I think it's very like, it's still a lot in the works. Um, but yeah, does that make sense? A hundred percent. I just, everything you, everything we talk about, there's so many different things <laughs> that you could branch to. It's like, do right. I want to, do I like, so one thing uh, in the, my, my favorite Dostoevsky book is um, The Brothers Karamazov. I've listened, I listened to it on Audible and I've listened to it like eight times nice. over. I just think nice. it's so, so good. And right. one of the things that, one, I think one line is like, uh, yeah, the, the young kids now, which is, this is what, 1860 or whenever it was, right. the, the young kids nowadays are only, all of Russia, all the boys in Russia are only involved in the, in thinking about the eternal questions. So it's like, there's this flip-flop between generations between right. like being really enamored and interested by these internal questions and then like are you, we think of like our parents generations or like the generation above them like grandparents being like super like pragmatic and just like work is right. the only thing like got to get that dollar something like right, some, right, whatever right. that is without being too cringy yeah. and it's just like cool seeing that which i think is another reason why those books like uh i haven't read east of eden but i started 100 years of solitude and i'm an mm -hmm. idiot for not not finishing but i want to i think you're so, really like, so yeah. interesting yeah i started listening to it it's, and I feel kind of fortunate that I'm in a place like in my life and I'm safe and I can pursue these questions because I think a lot of it, uh, you know, if, if our grand, if that was, you know, indeed true, you know, and my grandparents couldn't like explore what they wanted to because they had to focus on working and stuff like that. I think I'm, I just feel very fortunate to be able to like explore these questions and like think about it and have the time to, you know, I don't have to go fight off Vladimir Putin in Ukraine. I can sit here in Massachusetts and look up stuff, you know? So I think like it has given me a lot of perspective in the sense that I, I feel very fortunate to be here. But I think too, like each generation has like these big questions that they're enamored by. And I think, specifically with consciousness and like stuff like that, I think we're shaped a lot by the sci-fi of our time, right? So Black Mirror has been a big one for us. And so I think our generation is more focused on like 
AI biases and like so the questions of narrow AI of like directly mm-hmm. impacting your life, right? Like if I send my resume in and I have one word over another word, I'm like 90% more likely to get the job. And so it's like, or, 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 or if you, or if you uh, include the, uh, include the uh, word Harvard or the name Harvard in like yeah. white ink. So they can't see it, but the computer exactly. scans for it. So it sends exactly. it right in. Exactly. It's, it's frustrating. And I think Black Mirror has illuminated a lot of these concrete issues for our generation. I think it's, I think that's why it's shaped my philosophy a lot too. Um, I think Black Mirror, I think Twilight Zone, the original Twilight Zone did too, because I still watch the Twilight Zone. I love it. Like I grew up watching it with my mom and like, I still like her and I would still watch it. So it's, it's great. Um, But I think like, the, if, if you've watched it, we, we talk a lot about some of the issues that they directly talk about in Black Mirror. We talk about it in our class because these, like, you know, these questions are still very relevant. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, anyway, sorry. Did I no, I, I, you you would really like the show Love Death Robots. Right. Uh, yeah, I've, I've actually heard of it. And I know, I just like, I haven't watched it yet. I it just, deals like, with a lot. It's, it's similar to Black Mirror, but shorter episodes. Right. And they tackle the same philosophical implications of advancing models and better and better artificial intelligence. Right. I think the the biggest one I remember caused a lot of controversy in our class was was the San Junipero episode of Black Mirror. um, Uh Was that the one? uh, uh, Yeah. Wait, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's it's, um, the two uh, girls that are in love with each other. Like they die and they up, they basically upload themselves to live in this computer paradise. And so that got a lot of uh, controversy in our class because I was like, if you could die and upload yourself to live in like eternal paradise, like, would you like, I mean, if I die, like I'd, I'd upload my consciousness to go like live on the beach and, you know, sip some margaritas and chill out for eternity. I mean, like, I don't, I would do it. And so but, we but, kind of but launched into that. Was it, it was wasn't it lit. you that said, wait, I don't know if it was in one of your posts, but it was like, uh, I forget, and I forget what the quote is now, but it's like, basically the idea is basically like, if you gave someone everything they'd ever wanted or built them the perfect world. And you said, all you have to do is live here. The first thing they would do is like set it on fire or start to break anything because right. it's like, we need, we're like, we are in some sense, like our limitations, like everything that we're not able to do is like what right. defines us a lot of times. So it's like, if, if we have everything, then it's like, there's no, there's, there's no striving. You, you wouldn't be the explorer anymore because exactly. you, you would have nothing left to explore. Yeah. Cause you, you would just, you just be there. I think, I think you said it perfectly. I think the concept of like negative space, we're as much like the things that we don't think about make us human more like just as much as things we do, right? The ugly side of humanity makes us human just as much as the positive side. And I think that was another big topic we talked about in the class where it's like, if I'm, if my goal is to model the like average human, right? Like seven, 8 billion people condense it all into one person, like average across all these dimensions. Your goal is to model that person. Do you try to model that? Like, is it ethical to try to build in these biases that the average person would have these um, ugly sides of humanity, like the greed, the corruption, the stuff like that, that every person has some degree of, is it even ethical to build that into like an AI, like if you were to simulate and stuff like that. Um, that was pretty split too, man. I think the, the class, I feel like a lot of these issues now that I remember were pretty split. Um, they they inspired some pretty heavy debate. Um, and I just like stoked in the fire because it was fun listening to the students kind of go at it. Um, but yeah, so. A hundred percent. It's like built into us is this idea of like, self-preservation and self-interest above everything right it's like do we want exactly do we want to build a model that is self-interested above everything because like if we're if we're trying to say that we're trying to completely replicate our brain in a computer right 
I mean, again, it's so easy to get lost in the weeds here. So I'm going to try not to, but it's like, <laughs> like, wh like what's our goal in trying to build artificial general intelligence? Is it just because we find it interesting? Is there, I mean, I know there's so many steps, like we're nowhere, we're really nowhere close. I don't think, um, but it's just like, what, what goal are we trying to do? Like what, what's, what's the purpose of, what's the purpose of all of this? Like, right. you got to think about those things like at the very onset. And I feel like define them clearly to not let, because a lot of we're talking, and I'm in a cyborg anthropology class right now. We're talking nice. about like different algorithms and general intelligence. And it's like just setting, setting those goals really clearly for them um, and building them into like their very core, uh, I feel like would limit them from doing the bad things that people think about, like with the existential threats of AI. Right. I think it, there's, that's a whole field. It's, I think it's called the official name is the value alignment problem. And I, that's literally the, uh, um, UVA had a Rhodes Scholar, her name was Abbasal Balwit, that gave a guest lecture on that. Um, at, and she's at Oxford right now doing her master's, obviously, for um, the Rhodes Scholarship. But she gave a lectureship um, for my class on that exact topic. And she's working with Nick Bostrom at the Future of Manning Institute on that exact topic. Um, but I think scaling, like, what you're talking about is the larger goal of something, like I said, like BrainScore, where the BrainScore's goal is to model like the visual, the ventral visual system as well as possible, right? The mammalian ventral visual system. Um, so how like core object recognition, like when I look at you, I see you and like, I see all the things background and stuff like that. So it's like how, like, what is the best model of that? And like I said, you can submit a neural network and you can get an exact number. So that's exactly quantifying the behavior, like, the neural benchmarks, like how well do you match neural responses in your network and the behavioral benchmarks. Um, and so the question is, what's the goal of it, right? Like, what is the goal? Like, if we build this perfect neural network that perfectly models human vision, like, what do we do? And I've asked people in my lab this, and they're like, well, I guess we'd be done with that. And we'd move on to the next thing. But they're like, you know, we're so far from that. And there's so much science that needs to be done. Um, it's, it's just overwhelming sometimes because like it's there's so much that needs to be done and it's yeah anyway well um, one thing i would wonder about how you would respond to this is like all right so when we when we look at the world like when i look at this pencil like do right. i really see a pencil or do i see something in which i use to write and communicate my ideas it's like right. are we really seeing dead objects or are we seeing things packed with meaning and right. information and utility Right. Well, I think, I think it comes down to the level of abstraction that you want to think about. Right. So like, if I look at my chapstick here, I think the first thing in my mind is not, you know, this thing decreases the local entropy of the entire universe. Right. Like just being a chapstick, like, mm -hmm. in, like, I, I don't think that's the first thought to me, it's just something that'll make my lips feel better. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so I think like, I actually got into this and I, I use this argument as a, uh, uh, something against what's called extended mind theory in philosophy, which is that um, is a notebook, like if someone has Alzheimer's and they write their thoughts and memories on a notebook, is that notebook literally a part of their mind, is an extended part of their mind. Um, and I use an argument, I don't know how good it was, because I was like 19 or something when I was writing it, but um, if I read it now, I probably, I don't know if I'd even agree with it, but. How old um, are you now? What's up? How old are you? I'm 22 right now. I'm about to turn 23 in, in June. Shit. Cool. Um, but yeah, so I think like what I remember is um, from that is like this idea of functionalism, right? Like if something serves the same function, is it the same thing, right? So my notebook with my memories written down serves the same function as my, you know, mind, like with, oh my God, what is your cerebrum? No, it's like, yeah, your cerebrum, good Lord, um, that holds the memories of like, like your store memories. So you can make the argument that's like, well, you know, I like 
If I chopped off my hand, my hand decreases local entropy. So does a brick. So is my hand now a brick? And it's like, well, certain like views, you know, it, it can, you can both throw them. Um, but my point is like, it comes down to level of abstraction. Like, what do you mean when something serves the same function as something else? Um, right? Like I can smush a bug with my foot and I can smush it with a shovel. Does that mean like the shovel is now my foot? And it's like this weird entanglement of, of extended mind. I think I actually got an A on that paper, um, but I don't know if it would be coherent now <laughs> if I read it. Um, but yeah, you that think gets that into, would, What does it get into? No, I was just going to say that tries to, that, that's what you were talking about reminding me of is that so, this concept of like, when I see a pencil, do I think of something right with or a pencil? Like that's the kind of, yeah. So how would the idea that, um, this is just an example that I've heard used like a bunch of different times. Like I forget what culture it was, maybe like the Greek or the Roman, someone they're talking about the idea uh, that they saw Venus as both the morning star and the evening star. Right. And they had two different names for the same thing. Right. That's in, um, Oh my God. That's a really famous example in, uh, Oh my God. What philosophy? Some, I remember reading about that in a philosophy book and yeah, it's mm -hmm. the same. So it gets into like um, questions of like numerical identity versus the other one. I don't remember the other one. Um, but yeah, so what is it like? And the reason functionalism is such a thorn in the side of like computational, like philosophy kind of thing is like, it doesn't like, it's unclear what it even means to like, to, like it gets in the back end of the Chinese room argument, right? Like if I can do the same operations as a human in a black box, like, am I a human? Like, because I can do the same thing than human in the sense of like, like conscious, like that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Um, but it gets really into it. And I, I don't like, I think to be honest, I think the answer is going to come down to like empirical validation versus like philosophical, uh, you know, fancy philosophical arguments, because I think it's hard to argue with like numbers. Um, and if you present numbers like this neural network matches, you know, 90% of what a human would do, then it's like, well, I mean, you need to start considering like this thing might actually be sort of human like at that point. We're nowhere near that, by the way, but like our best models are like 45, maybe 50% of the human data um, of the monkey data, actually. Um, but at that point, like I've talked to, I've asked people in my lab this, like at that point, like we hit a brain score of like 0.98, like what does that actually mean? Like as researchers, like, like, like science aside, like philosophically speaking, like I have, you know, mic net that I submit to brain score and it gets 0.98 and matches the neural data of like, a, like does exactly, pretty much exactly what a human would do under those exact circumstances across, you know, thousands of these benchmarks across your brain and behavior and everything. What does that actually mean? Um, and so that's a big question right now too, I think in our lab alone, um, people debate it like every day. Um, and I have no freaking clue what that would mean. I think it's, I think it'd be really cool because I think it'd be a new era of like AI. Um, and I think that would be a really good indicator of something that's like AGI is closer than we think. Um, now that's gonna take a while, <laughs> I think, for having been involved in brain score for the past year, I think um, it's, we just hosted a competition and we got like, five percent improvement um so that was it's like i said we're nowhere near of like 1.0 um, but anyway yeah that was again the long-winded answer <laughs> of that um what are the different components that grade score grades on and how many different different ways does it uh interpret yeah, so, the model? so brain score right now we have it's it's this idea it was created by martin shrimp um it was his thesis project at mit literally just graduated um his defense was like a month ago um, on it. And uh, I got hired a year ago, uh, actually exactly a year ago to work on like to be a full-time software dev for it. Um, and so 
the philosophy is that you take, um, we have neural benchmarks, which are actual probes that people stick into a macaque monkeys and get the neural spiking data from. So you show a monkey, you know, a picture of another monkey and you, you know, neuron A spikes this much and neuron B spikes this much and you conglomerate those. And so you have neural data, um, but you also have behavioral data. So like you show a monkey um, a picture of a balloon and then it's like, did I see a balloon or did I see a chair? And it's got to pick it. And so you, you have, we have like 30 of those conglomerated together across different cortical regions. Um, and you submit a neural network and you get a score based on how well that neural network can reproduce those results um, between zero and one, right? Like one would be perfect um, with the noise ceilings and everything like that. But we're about, like I said, we're about the best model I think is like 0. 0.5. 0. 0.5 yeah. yeah. Um, so we're explaining like half the variance right now, which is um, we have a lot to do. Like, and those are all conglomerated, like conglomerated by your cortical area, right? So like V1, V2, V4 to IT, like this kind of the way you see things in your brain, um, this, the way they're benchmarked. So yeah, that's, but the point is with all that, I think like- Oh, like oh, so wait, so the V, what, what is it? One through four and then IT. So that's right. like, th that models the, uh, basically like how, well, well, would that be like for visual data as well? Cause I would get it like if it comes from like, spine spinal data and it comes up like through the brainstem then it would pass through like through like that right. is that the so, same so, for visual data yeah so the philosophy here is that um the ventral stream like i said it hits your retina and your cells in your retina get passed all the way back to your head to the, the area of v1 um then those activations get passed to v2 and those get sent to v4 and then those get sent to it and then it the theory is, um, and this is very loose, so if my lab mates are listening to this, don't crucify me, um, but IT, like the activations are roughly consistent with like um, something like ImageNet, right? So like you can compare directly between um, these activations of a neural network and what your brain does. Um, and so again, the philosophy is that you integrate all these benchmarks that you show this neural network, um, one image and it gets, you record from all these areas and you test to see how well the neural network fits the human data. Um, and so again, like, I think that's the interesting question of like, what happens when we actually get a brain score of like one, like, what does that mean? Like you could go the route of saying, all right, well, our data, we don't have enough data. Um, and it's just doing really well in this subset of data. But then like, if you expand that, it's like, I have all the data I could possibly want. And the model is as perfect of a model of human vision as we get. What does that actually mean? Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, what is that? Really is good that model now? Right. So is that model now, is that neural network, like visually conscious, like in the same way humans are like, is it, there's, oh my God, there's so many different <laughs> questions you can ask. And it's just, uh, it gives me a headache trying to think about everything, but yeah. So I think you would really like Brain Square too. I think you should check it out because it's really. Well, I mean, I did a little bit. I was, I was right. trying to, trying to research it. I right. didn't know how much, how much more I could, I uh, go into it besides just the overview of what it was and, right. and thinking about the ideas that give us all headaches. Right. So yeah, I think, I think the takeaways um, for Brain Score right now, like if you show a monkey an image and you show a neural network an image, how well does that neural network respond in the same way as a monkey would? is a good way to think about it. Um, yeah. So like neurally, like spiking and behaviorally. So you can get a neural network to make predictions for behavior um, just as easy as you can get it to like get the spike rates from like the activations and stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's the big takeaway. That, well, that's um, so I, cool that you're doing that. Um, and that- I'm just working on it. I'm not- I didn't Yeah, yeah, that you're working on it. That you're working on it. Okay, so I did um, just just because I know how difficult like measurement measurement is in the first place, especially related to- especially related to like systems like these. Um, like I did 
a project on this thing called the blue score bleu and it's like a basically like a measurement for um natural language processing and it, nice. so basically like if you have i can actually if you want i can show you a little bit yeah go ahead of, cool. uh, i haven't I have done a lot of that because i've been more on computer vision but so i, so I made the, this is senior year of high school so it's really nice. cringing oh bad but so basically this is just the example i wanted to show you so it's like it shows the limitations of measurement so it's like so say you have a, a sentence in spanish and basically a hu the way the this model uh this blue scoring system would work is that a human would translate it and that word by word the al the the algorithm the blue scoring system would go through and grade the computer translation the natural language translation based cool. exactly on the human score so it's like cool. this this one so the teacher went for a stroll before retiring to the sofa and the professor took a walk and then relaxed on the couch are me uh like would it be semantically the same like they contain the same meaning it's the same fucking right. sentence except it got a score this is the scoring difference oh my god that's really because, cool yeah. because there's no overlap of the exact same words they're called n-gram pairs so it, it basically just like is trying to match exactly the same sentence uh the, exactly the same words and the same combinations of words um to to compare the natural language translation versus right. the human translation and then grade it only that's based really on that cool. and no, then so something like yeah, something really cool. like this uh it's like if you just completely switch all the worlds around but use the exact same words so like the department of defense consistently commits war crimes versus consi uh, consistently commits the war crimes department of defense obviously those two things like make no right, make right, no right. sense but it's like it says i mean that i don't know if this is even right or if i was even doing this graph right but there are a lot they're graded a lot. Uh, this natural language translation would be graded way better than this one, even though this one sucks and this one's yeah. really great. No, that's totally cool, man. I think there was a Martin actually just in collaboration with some other NLP people at MIT had just released a paper on scoring, like basically brain scoring the best uh, NLP models and stuff. And again, I don't really understand a lot of the NLP stuff because I focus on computer vision. Um, but you're like light years ahead of where I was when I was a senior. What are we, 17 in high school? Like senior year? So what was mm -hmm. I doing? I think. I was it's just fucking interesting. It's so interesting. Right. No, you're, it's, it's great, man. I think you're, you're on a great path. Yeah. I was, I literally think I was scrubbing beer uh, off tables at sports. Oh, I was doing that too. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, you're, you're way better, way like light speed ahead of where I was at. Man. Yeah. But the, then the other thing is like, um, or just one thing I kind of just think about is like, we were, we were talking about like the benefits of being like a generalist uh, right. in this world, like taking from so many different perspectives. And I'm kind of banking on that. Like if this <laughs> podcast thing worked, that would be so sick. Right. I think that's the same. my job. But, but the, but the problem is like, if I wanted to work like with, like with you or like say, say, like when you're like, uh, studying more about brain score or something, it's like, how do I come in? I have like a super wide breadth of knowledge about like a ton of different things, but it's right. not like, I don't have like a fundamentally a fundamental like computer science background so that i right. guess that's why i'm trying to focus on like finance and business and and management right. in at school so I, at least i have like one specialized area that i'm that i'm decent at that i can like use uh the kind of like as a not as a crush but just like if all else fails like if if uh, the generalist, if my uh, claim that generalist like uh, is a great, like is really useful, if that doesn't end up being true, if it just like doesn't, if it takes a while for right. it to be true, for it like to manifest, then at least I'll, I'll have that. Right. So, so let me ask you, like, do you, do you like what you're doing? Do you like, do you like finance? Do you think about that shit in your free time is the question. Um, 
<laughs> okay, so right off the bat, no. Well, no, thing. hold on, stop, stop. Because <laughs> I think a lot about um, venture capital and investing and okay. and creating businesses. Um, I'm just much more people right. centric, okay. people oriented, which right. is like <laughs> super useful for uh, entrepreneurship, working with teams, right. like venture capital investing. Like it's a huge part about just like being able to like uh, envision like if if this product is really solving a problem, if um, if the market for this product is big enough, it's just, if it's solving a big enough problem, if this if the team is right to be tackling this problem, if the team all right. works really well together. But the things I'm studying right now in like accounting and like uh, right, right, Excel, right. these are just like things that I feel are like necessary. So they're not really engaging, right. but it's like, I kind of just have to do this to get to where you want to be, which everyone has to do. Everyone right. has to go through shit that they don't want to, that they don't want to do to eventually like be able to work on something like that's right. really cool. That was my, that was my experience in my, my fourth year operating systems class, like fucking shit that was never relevant to me right now, but it was still like, I had to slog through, but you should take, if you haven't already, you should take a few CS classes just to see how you like them. Um, I'm assuming you have programming experience because you created those beautiful graphs. So uh, a mean, little like, bit, like, that, I think that was just, uh, I think that was just Google sheets or something. Um, <laughs> but I I've taken, I've taken two Python courses and it's like, I don't know what it is. It just it it isn't maybe i just haven't spent enough time like really like really right. thinking about programming like some of my friends are and it's just it like at this point it just hasn't stuck with me like yeah, i haven't like I it. gotten it conceptually so i feel like i'm kind of like i don't know i feel i, I, I want to keep doing them it's just like it's really hard even like even like the intro classes that i took so it's like right. maybe i just need to do more like study it more like study harder i mean it kicked my ass consistently for four, <laughs> for four years so i think uh i had never made like anything below like an a in high school like and then i finally got like my first freaking like college exam i literally got like, a d plus on i was like well this is different <laughs> so yeah it was, it's pretty it's pretty intense but i i think too um i think the investment of being a generalist over super specialized is a good investment. And unless you want to do like a PhD, that's like the nature of a PhD, right? It's mm -hmm. like you're specializing in something very specific. Um, but I think like in terms of, I, I think, it, I think that's great. I, I think the generalist would, will rule because again, I'm biased because I think I am a generalist, but like, mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how we're much. Just, we're just two generalists talking about how general list. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So our sample size is kind of small and I think we're kind of biased, but anyway. Um, okay. Yeah, I think okay. Anyway. So I've, uh, I mean, I can keep going forever, but I wanted to touch on at least uh, like a few, few more th things. So like yeah. you were talking about quantum mechanics and we were talking about like just the idea that like at the very bottom, the thing at the very bottom, we don't understand. So I feel like I was thinking of the analogy when it's like, if you're like, if you're aiming at aiming at this thing or like trying to measure the star or something and it's like, you turn it slightly here by the time it reaches a hundred billion light years away or however far it is, it's going to be ridiculously far off. So I'm just like, I just like worry that we're building on this like really unstable foundation. Mm -hmm. And I mean, obviously that's like an existential, like, uh, anxiety no, like, thing like that yeah. but it's just like i feel think it's a useful thing to think about no i get it i think again it hit me what you're talking about kind of hit me the like the hardest when again i was talking about like super intelligence stuff and like there could be like there could be a super intelligence that is just ex so exponentially smarter than us that like it just completely invalidates our best theories because we just don't understand the best of them right like it's 
it's hard to imagine that, like, I mean, it's hard to imagine that actually happening, but it's easy to think about, right? Like in, in theory, like that could happen, but it would, in practice, like it'd be really hard. And to be honest, I don't remember how I got out of that hole. I think I just kind of moved on to the next thing because I was just like, it was too painful to think about. And I was like, well, cause it, it kind of got into the nihilism of like, why am I even doing science then? If like this whole thing could be invalidated by something way smarter than me later on. Um, and I think like the answer to it now is still going back to what we talked about earlier, right? Like, I think that temporal link between like other people that have explored science and the people that will explore sciences, I keep coming back to that because like, it's kind of a fundamental philosophy of like, I just feel connected. It makes me feel more connected with like humanity. If that makes sense. Like, yes, we're not perfect. Like, um, we have all of our flaws, but like, I just kind of want to make a better world. And I think like, there's a, uh, have you watched Cosmos, like the newer Cosmos um, from no. Carl Sagan? But no. okay, so I don't really know much about Carl Sagan. I think you would, all. I think uh, if you get in, if you get into him, I think it's going to be really cool for you because a lot of the stuff you're talking about, it's going to like, he like, he wrote about a lot of the struggles you're talking about and like how they've overcome it and stuff like that. And um, he died really, he died like when he was 50, it was kind of, it's kind of sucks. But there's a quote at the end where um, he's talking about like, this he recorded in like the 70s and they dubbed it over into a newer uh, episode in like 2018 or something um, but anyway like it's one of my favorite quotes because i'm paraphrasing of course but it was like but it's not gonna be us who reach like alpha centauri it's gonna be creatures much like us that are like that have like more of our strengths and like less of our weaknesses and like are more far-sighted and less like violent and stuff like this and it's like those are the people we want to represent us on like the galactic stage if there is one, right? Like those are the people that we want to have like the very best of humanity. Almost um, and viewing I think, yourself like, as like a stepping stone of towards exactly. something greater. Exactly, so you can see where I'm going with this. It's like this idea of like building to like, like distilling the best qualities of, of humanity and trying to build that up um, and like for future generations and stuff. And I think like, that's what's grounded me from going down the philosophical nihilistic rabbit hole of like, oh my God, like my entire life's work could be invalidated tomorrow by a super intelligent AI. <laughs> um, but it's still, because for me, like that's still progress, right? Like that's a negative mm -hmm. result in the sense that like it's disproving it's something, but we still learn something, right? Like it ain't that way, but we know something now, like we don't know how it works, but it definitely isn't like that. <laughs> so does that make sense though? A hundred percent. It's the same idea of negative space and the fact that limitations yeah. define define who we are it's the same exactly. idea and the so, fact that like yeah. we're immersed in this process like are, are, do we have a better understanding of the world reality the universe whatever consciousness than we did a thousand years ago right. yes like i would say yes <laughs> yeah i would i would also say yes and yeah. so it's like all those people that are were like working on on all the science like every scientist in the last thousand years maybe they aren't remembered maybe they aren't one of like the 50 scientists that or the five scientists that anyone actually knows about but exactly. all those people were like like we stand on the shoulders of giants it's like such exactly. a good quote because exactly. it's like everyone is like part of part of this like building this like cool like corpus of knowledge that we have like about the world and it's even yeah. like those people that that fail show like okay well we're not going to go this route because that obviously doesn't work and it's like we need those people uh like sometimes like it's like a sacrifice almost like you'll spend your whole life doing something that's really like nothing but at exactly. least the next person doesn't make the same mistake as you. So it's really like super, super valuable. Yeah. So I, again, I think, uh, I think you'll really like a lot of Carl Sagan's writing and stuff. Cause I think you'll exactly what you said. I think a lot of it will resonate with you. Um, but yeah, that was the, the biggest quote for me because I, I just really liked it. Cause like I said, it was like in the future, like 
ideally, you know, and it's, it's easy to get lost in stuff with like Ukraine going on and everything about seeing the worst of humanity and, and like the invasion and everything like that. But I think like it's, I just hold on to this grasp of like humans are fundamentally good. And like, I think um, we are like, I mean, besides the 4% of, you know, sociopathic people in the world, but like, I think the majority of people are good people that just want to live their life and, and like take care of their kids and like have fun with their parents and stuff like that. And I think um, there was something called like the 160 like human universals about like findings that like every human culture, every study like has. And it's like thinking about the meaning of your dreams and like, um, you know, like, just stuff like this that like connects all of human like humanity together um mm -hmm. and i think one it can make a really good political speech <laughs> so if you want to use that like google it because i think it'll i think it'll really cool uh like 160 uh yeah it's like it's like i don't know uh, who did it but it's like it's like human universals uh like cross-cultural like like kissing and like hugging and like burying the dead and like worrying about dreams and stuff and so like it always like like, I don't know why, but it always fucks me up to see, like, like the ancient cultures, like, remnants of, like, graves that are, like, decorated from, like, 10,000 years ago or something, because it's, like, I don't know, it's just, like, this temporal link, like, we talked about, of, like, they probably had the, some of the same thoughts we did, and, like, there's all these generate thousands of years of human history that we, that we lost because no one read it, that no one wrote it down, or no one remembered it, of, like, sacrifices and trials and love and hate and death and, like, all this stuff, and I just, I, I don't know, it's just, it's overwhelming to me and i think like i think you feel it too because i think that's the romanticist view of like science and like humanity um, oh my god it's also got bitten by it it's hard not to think about that oh stuff. dude I'm, I'm deep i'm that's why the show's called max depth right that's a cool that's a really cool uh title by the way it gets i thought when i originally heard it i thought it was like i was thinking of like recursion and like max depth of like like trees and stuff i thought it was really cool so yeah, I get it. I mean, I mean, we're, we're deep. We're deep. I, I, I'm already deep in this, so I don't, I don't know. I hope, hopefully, I come out the other side, or maybe not. Maybe I'm, maybe right. I'm better, better off deeper. Right. Away. Well, I, th I think, I think if you haven't already, I think you're going to come to a point where it's like, do I want to adopt this nihilistic mindset, or do I want to adopt like this existentialist mindset of like, when I say existentialist, I'm thinking of like the actual like, like French like existentialist of like you create your own meaning and like even the absurdist movement kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I definitely think like um, that idea that like, I mean, like religion is just like a, a really difficult topic to talk about, like in a, in any like coherent right. way or a short amount of time or whatever. But it's like if you go on that like neat that like two paragraphs in Nietzsche where he's like talking about God is dead, and then he's like, "Holy shit, guys, God is dead. We have a big problem here. We don't have anything to unify us or provide meaning in life." be careful not to become nihilistic. Bad right. things will happen if we do, and you need to create your own meaning. It's exactly. like that, I feel like that's the point I'm on. Like we're all like in this process of becoming as like my senior year English teacher would say, um, right. like not human beings, human becomings. And it's like, we're right. constantly on this journey cool. like to create meaning, um, right. which is just like super fulfilling. And if you like really strive towards that, then I don't know, no, it's I, a cool I, life. I fully agree. I think, um, I actually really like Michelle Obama's becoming book. And that's that word, like she has a really good quote on there about uh, that word becoming. And I think it's, I think it's totally relevant because it's like this, it's never ending, right? Like the process of like learning and like uh, becoming is like, is one of the most important, I think. Um, but no, I, everything it's, it's crazy. Cause everything you've said, I've like agreed with. <laughs> I know everything so, yeah, you've I, said, I, I've, I've agreed with a lot too. It's also oh, like the idea. Right, so. 
when 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 yeah when we were when you were talking about the idea that like all those years of uh thing of human knowledge wasn't written down this millennium of human knowledge wasn't written down it's like right. they weren't written down but they were like encoded right. into us and right. through like yeah. reproduction like they've been passed on so it's right. like it's almost like the idea that like the uh, information is like stored inside of us almost right. or like that like every well, I love my dog. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's like yeah, the no, oral, yeah. the oral stories are results of like of thought and the cave art, and then the biblical stories are, are products of all those. It's just like it's like not. It's like it's hard to argue meaninglessness right. like at that level of like of the level of like am I doing something that will like further human knowledge? Because right. it's like any argument you take, like yeah, it will. Like e even you just like being right. alive, like right. you surviving, and then <laughs> and then propagating successfully right. means that you were had something of value exactly if, if yeah, not you'll exactly. die off yeah yeah so it's again i think it's i think it's really cool because i just get lost in like the 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 human universals thing is is crazy and i think it's kind of like like my dad was a navy seal and like he as he as he got older became pretty much anti-war like having been in like two wars he became pretty staunchly anti-war and uh i think like a lot of it too is is like came down to like the humanization of your enemy in this case and like seeing like 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 there's put like you see photos of like like russian invasion forces that have been like hit by missiles in their tank and they're like burnt laying burnt on the ground and it's like like i think a lot of people and i think it's positive because i think a lot of people are like wow this kid like this this kid was 18 like he literally was just like he was probably lied to by his superiors and like, he was just like, why the hell am I in Ukraine? Next thing you know, you're on fire. And you're dead, right. Like, and it's, it kind of helps like humanizing it and where it's like, this kid had dreams. He might've had like a girlfriend or a boyfriend to come back and like, look forward to and Like his mom was probably worried to death about him. And like, they'll never know. And like all this stuff. And it just like hits you in the feels. Cause it's like, Holy shit. Like, I don't know. Like it, it just humanizes. And I think like, yeah. I don't that's know. also that's also a Jungian idea about like about encountering the shadow and it's like right. <laughs> or, or like really thinking hard about like the people like I read a book if you haven't read it it's oh, a thousand it's ridiculously about the gulag archipelago Alexander oh, yeah. Solzhenitsyn right, listen right. to it on audible it is stuff, unreal yeah. it is insane it totally it's pretty dense man it's pretty dense that's why really... you listen to it yeah yeah it's, you gotta it's... listen to it any yeah, like it is... thick book it was a pain in the ass to try to find on Amazon for a while too. I don't know why, but they like reprinted it or some shit, but yeah, it was, there's some crazy stuff about that too. And like, it's funny. Cause like the USSR was like, nah, that's just capitalist propaganda. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they completely, they completely hit it. Like I could, I could talk about this in uh, like first for however long for infinite, right, but right. like my point was like, once you like, okay. How, how much do you see like human beings as, um, as like, learning learning models right how much like, do i yeah so like as learning models in the sense of like as so it's like so it's like as we're interpreting like our values are kind of like the goals in a in a computational system like all the data we receive is like exactly like the data that uh like a computational or like a like a program system would receive and it's like based on that data then we kind of like find patterns and uh right. find like rights or things like we should focus on so it's like i don't i don't know if you could really say people are like at base good because right. i feel like people are at base 
right blank except for uh, but i don't really agree with like the blank slate because like i do agree with what i was saying earlier about like how we're kind of like our like how we're born we carry things within us like maybe we carry values in us like at the very start so we're not entirely linked but a lot of it is like interpreting the data like if we see like if our parents like really emphasize christianity it's like obviously we're super influenced by like all these things so it's like if you grew up in in the the soviet union in like 1919 through 1955 or whatever it was it's like you're uh and you're just like programmed by the state like you're fed in all this all this propaganda all these things and it's like yeah like i just want to keep my family safe um i i i want to work for the state like i'm doing a noble thing it's like in in their minds those people weren't bad those people were were good to themselves and it's like so it's like i think that perspective gives me a lot of uh empathy or sympathy whatever the word is i always get them confused it's like those people aren't those people are, are are models just like you they were just fed different data and so it's like and so it's like bad people aren't really bad they just like got they got bad data and made exactly weird patterns right. off of it no there's a there's a really good book called uh, ordinary men um talks yeah about like, yeah, yeah yeah it's the same yeah, thing police battalion that got that committed atrocities in like poland and stuff in world war ii and how those guys were literally just like normal dudes and they got like uh what's the extreme extreme like extremist size. Uh, oh my God. What's the, what's the word? Um, when you get, uh, oh my God, I can't think of it. Anyway, they, they got a lot of like extremist positions and they got uh, fed in like brainwashed and stuff and they committed these atrocities. And it's like the whole point of that book was that like, look, like these guys weren't monsters. They're just, these people like just you. wanted to feed their family and didn't want to die. Exactly. And so like, but the end result of that was these atrocities. And so the, it was a cautionary tale because like, as humans, we have this like tendency, I think, to like dehumanize these villains. And it's like, oh, we could never do that. Like these people are like, like, no, these, yeah, these people are different than us in order to do that. And it's like, no, they're not. They're just like, like, we're all human, man. And it's like, yeah, it's, it gets into a lot of like, that's exactly, that's exactly Jung's idea of encountering the shadow. He's like, guys, we're all the, like the, the Nazi prison guards, the people I was reading about, remind me about uh, like encountering the shadow because i'm gonna get i'll probably lose it but like i was reading about these guys in japan who is just it's just more examples of human insanity and just like brutality that if you looked on the outside just makes no sense they're like they're doing scientific experiments like injecting people with different blood types bloods into each other they're like cutting off limbs and attaching them to the other side they're putting people in centrifuges and like spinning them around and and until like their heads burst like they're they're injecting people with diseases like all these fucked up insane things it's like but maybe those guys were like they, those guys were just scientists like working for the state under orders like maybe there was one guy that was a psychopath and he was the one giving orders but a lot of times it's just like top-down control they're just trying to feed their families or they're just scientists going on this journey of exploring and the people that they've been given they've been told are absolutely worthless they don't even have a consciousness they're not even real people they're untouchables so it's like you can do whatever they want to them and they're, and they're worthless so it's like yeah yeah and i think there's a, a that's just the quintessential like the ordinary like men book and i think like and like i think going back to what we were talking about before i think like it's i think it's easy to get lost in in the the bad like news and stuff and i've literally tried to like make my news feed more positive <laughs> because like i i like i said i i again i think it's because of the romantic view of like science and stuff and i think like that carl saying quote just sticks with me right like i think like 
the people like the people that we re- if we colonize the solar system and stuff like that and we reach out hopefully we don't nuke ourselves you know before that um if we do that and that stuff those great. people like yeah through evolution and stuff and and everything we we're gonna have to be like better humans because if we're even any like percent more violent or anything like that, we're just gonna annihilate ourselves um and i think like so it's it's refreshing to think about like those future generations and stuff like thousands of years from now you know again if we're still alive like um, what they will be like and trying to be like a better human. I think like it's been a, it's been a, it's been a ride. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know. Like it, it, it gets, it kind of like fucks me up a little bit. Cause I'm like, damn, like, uh, it, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> it's all, yeah. It's like um, seeing that. I mean, I don't know if this is like what you're going with, but it's like knowing that you have all that, like knowing that you have the capability to do all those things. Pe- those people did. It's like, it's like, wow. Like, I'm kind of a sick fuck, but it's like, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, but it's, uh, to, to quote Kanye, um, but it's also like, you can use that as like, you have so much capacity inside yourself, not to get too lofty, but like you have, there's so much unrealized potential in yourself that you aren't using. It's just like unreal. Like, exactly. like every, no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter how hard you're working, no matter how many, like, uh, Peterson talks about this idea of this, like, uh, he's just the one that introduced me to this idea. Like when you're placed into a new environment, um, new, new neural circuits form to encounter like new stimulus to, uh, like, we're really good at adapting. So it's like, we have so much potential in ourselves. Like we're these ridiculous creatures that are able like to do so much. Like we just have like a lot trapped inside of ourselves. And I think in realizing how much bad we can do or, or even how much good we can do, it just like, it it makes it more meaningful. It gives us more self-confidence. No. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of it's, I think the, what you're talking about was a, the Solzenheim quote where it's like the line is thin that runs through your heart of like good and evil is thin or something. I think that was the paraphrase quote. Yeah. The, yeah. the line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man. Yeah. Something and it's like, like that. Than most people think, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, I need to get these medium articles out. Cause there's a lot of good quotes that I have on there that like, Oh dude. About, like, power. Got, and uh, stuff. It's, well, I mean, I got, I got number I got uh, I got this one pulled up, but Number I think five. it's gonna limit me. Um, oh, for oh yeah, that's kind of annoying. So so why is there a deadline? Um, I, yeah, so okay, so Max Tegmark, I haven't really like I haven't met personally, like I haven't really talked to, but I think this one came. This was I actually put on the syllabus, um, and I think the point of that quote was just kind of to say that like a lot of these questions about consciousness are gonna have to be solved, like we can't like empirically, right? Like these are like the Black Mirror philosophy of like. Like some of this shit's gonna start impacting people, um, mm-hmm. and like I think like that was kind of the point. Of that oh, quote. the impl- the implications as a deadline, right? Not as not yeah. in the literal sense. Like there's a deadline next week to solve sure. the question of questions, that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, so I have to run um, now at two thirty because I have to hop in another meeting, Max. But man, it's been oh. a pleasure. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully we can stay connected some somehow. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay, definitely. And I, I need to write these other articles, <laughs> so. Okay, cool. Well, let's stay connected. And maybe I was planning on posting this on maybe doing like a little post on LinkedIn. And maybe if you could like repost and share with your next network. Sure. Definitely. I'll reach back out in a little bit. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Have a good one. Good luck. Bye. Thank you.